Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric and Matt, and this is Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit, your beacon of freedom and the American way of life. Tune in every Friday for a new episode as we dive into the world of liberty and what makes our country great. We're going to be discussing today big versus small government. And I know this is a concept, an idea uh, that is a subject of a lot of debate amongst many people, not to mention uh, scholars of uh, various degrees, of course, but also individuals who, you know, have their varying opinions about whether or not our country is a big government country or whether we need small government in our country. So um, we will dive into this subject a little bit, and hopefully you guys will have some fun today, maybe learn something. And, you know, these are our opinions. Uh, we're, we're certainly not trying to, you know, say this is gospel, but it certainly does raise a lot of concern as to how our country has gone down the path that it has, and it has created a large megalodon of a machine in terms of a government. And a lot of people really fear a large government because when a government gets too big for their boots, they want to continuously infringe on your freedoms, they want to try to tell you what to do, how to live, and of course these are all things that our founding fathers were horribly opposed to. They really stressed individual freedom and responsibility, and those are things that a large government simply don't really allow. It's it's true, and I, I think that if they were able to look at where we're at right now, they would they would be extremely upset with how we treated their government, the, one, the, the constitution that they formed, the beliefs that they tried to instill. Um, and I think we've moved away from being that small government, less intrusive uh, government to this all-giving government that wants to try to give to everybody and, and live in this equality-like state. And I think that that's the wrong wrong way to do it. I mean, when our founding fathers initially started this government, it was part-time. Like, it was, hey, we're normal people. We go to Washington, and we, you know, we do our thing part-time, and then we go home. We go home. We, we live amongst our people. You're elected. Uh, you live amongst your people. You, you know, do your daily grind, and you go back when needed to vote and when you have to have conversations and create laws. And then you go back. This was never intended to be a full-time gig. It's just not the way it was designed. Um, and somehow it turned into that. And we'll probably touch on that in a bit. But, I mean, just the thought of it. I mean, lots of these current congressmen and, and Senate uh, constituents, they, they're so out of touch with their, their individual uh, homes where they, where they live. They couldn't tell you what milk costs in their home state. They can't tell you their local laws because they live in Washington or the surrounding areas. So, I mean, it's just it's everything that it shouldn't be. It grew in to turn into this monster that shouldn't exist. It should be, my personal opinion, only opinions here, small government, less intrusive, and that's just what I believe. We are going to dive into that a little bit more, and it's also, I believe, important to recognize that our founding fathers wrote the absolutely most perfect document, right? And they were you have to understand where they were coming from back then. They were coming from a 
borderline totalitarian rule. They were fleeing a very oppressive king. They were fr- uh, fleeing a oppressive type of idea in terms of their religion, right? So people were trying to dictate what they what they believed and trying to dictate how they lived, and they were tired of it. You know, people literally just wanted to be somewhere where they could be individuals. And I think this whole individualism was really spreading, um, you know, around a lot. And and our founding fathers were very um, independent people, and they wanted to live free, and they wanted to to have that freedom for everybody else. And I think that our founding fathers also, when it comes down to uh, like you mentioned, you know, oh, part-time politician. Uh, they viewed government as a necessary instrument uh, of the people, but still it was the people, right? It was always about the people and for the people, and they viewed government as an instrument that could destroy the people if it got big enough to allow that to happen. And Ben Franklin said early on, it's your republic if you can keep it. Right. And he meant that. So, you know, enough about what we have to say. Let's hear what the Founding Fathers have to say, okay? And I do have some quotes here. We'll go over a few things here. Let's see here. So we're going we're gonna to quickly here talk about uh, the enshrined liberty as a natural right in the Declaration of Independence. This is a quote from Thomas Jefferson. It's a, it's a paraphrasing of Thomas Jefferson. Rightful liberty is unobstructed action according to our will, within limits drawn around us by the equal rights of others. I do not add within the limits of the law, because law is often but the tyrant's will, and also so when it violates the right of the individual. So here we hear um, we hear Thomas Jefferson certainly having a concern over individual liberty being trampled by an oppressive government, and, and that's what they just fleed from, that's what they just fought a revolution uh, for and everything like that, and he literally draws that line there. So liberty should not be obstructed by a, a omnipotent or, or overwhelming force, be it government or each other, right? That individual liberty should trump all government. And uh, I believe that's my take as to how you know you would equate that. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that you know, coming from a group of people in a nation that just, you know, fought for their independence, a very, you know, rough, savage battle um, that honestly could have went either way. Um, We had some very, very good allies that helped us out. Um, And I think that's exactly what it was. They they had experience in a tyrannical government being oppressed. uh, And that's what we don't want. And if you don't outline what it is that you want for the future and you don't put these constitution, uh, you don't put the constitution in place, um, history has a, a, history will repeat itself. And that's very important that we don't do that. All right. So we're going to listen to Thomas Jefferson again. Uh, this was from his first inaugural address. A wise and frugal government shall restrain men from injuring one another, shall leave them otherwise free to regulate their own pursuits of industry and improvement, and shall not take from mouth of labor the bread it has earned. This is the sum of good government. So what Jefferson is saying here is that men are the government, and that every man is entitled to the sweat of his brow, literally the bread in his in his mouth in this particular instance that he's mentioning here, and that you should be free of any type of regulation to pursue 
your own industry and then improvement of that industry. So what Jefferson is saying here is that the government should not, you know, heavily regulate business, commerce, right? So what what have we seen in today's government, this big government uh, compared to this small, minuscule government that our founding fathers intended and what they wrote the founding documents of this country to further that, right? Um, you know, we see all of these laws, which we're going we're gonna to mention that here in a minute, but one more quote from Jefferson here, and then we're going to move on, okay? Let's see. All right. Our founding fathers firmly opposed the collectivist arguments that sought to justify the redistribution of wealth by the government. So here's Jefferson on that, on that vein again. To take from one because it is thought his own industry and that of his father's has acquired too much in order to spare to others who, of whose fathers, have not exercised equal industry and skill is to violate the arbitrarily the first principle of association, the guarantee to everyone the free exercise of his industry and the fruits acquired by it. Okay, so what Jefferson is saying here is it is a clear stab at what we would know now as sort of socialism slash communism ideas of saying, all right, one person works really hard to get something, we should redistribute that and give it to other people or something like that. Or, oh, you're, you're a wealthy person, you were born into money, oh, well, you should take that money and give it to people that are less fortunate. He was very much against the idea of uh, redistribution of wealth and the government having any, any say in how you manage your wealth. Yeah, and I think a, a great um, example of that is what happened in uh, Russia and Ukraine from 1919 to 1959. Um, they had the whole, you know, uh, take from the farmers to provide to the people in the cities and the different cities and districts, uh, basically propping up the, the main country. And uh, 30 to 50 million people died. 30 to 50 million people died. Um, and that is exactly why we have our laws in place is to prevent that from happening. Um, I mean, that really harps more on the second quote that you provided um, than the third. Absolutely. And, you know, the Second Amendment is a very, very important part of what gives our rights teeth. OK, the Second Amendment is our permission to overthrow and destroy a government who does no, who no longer you know, deals in the will of the people. When when the government becomes obtrusive and abusive, then it's our duty to overthrow said government and replace them with a government um, that will, okay? And, and what does that really mean when we think about that, okay? Is that to say that there's some man in a suit and you replace him with another man in a suit? Well, what is government? What is our government but made of us? We the people are the government, and that was the Founding Fathers' intentions, is for the government to be comprised of people who are citizens, who care about their community. So um, not to be this, um, this giant overlord that can just determine everything, that you, the way you have to live. So we'll get into that a little bit. Let's go, we're going to backtrack just a little bit, and let's read a little bit from the Declaration of Independence, Okay. July 4th, 1776, okay, it's one of our founding documents. You'll probably recognize this, but this pretty much puts you in the mind of where our founding fathers were, okay? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, 
that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its power in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. All right, the Second Amendment is literally the teeth of that statement. That declaration that, hey, this is, this is how we feel and this is what we want our people to be able to do from here on. They wrote literally the most perfect documents you could ever found the country with. I agree. And I think it's very important for us to realize that it clearly states it is our duty. As the people, uh, we hold the power. And the Second Amendment is, is that equalizer. It's the great equalizer on what gives us the ability to do that. Because a disarmed populace are subjects. And we are not subjects. That's right. So we kind of know where the Founding Fathers' intentions were. Uh, I'll go through some just brief bullet points here that really outline, you know, why we even had the Declaration of Independence, why we broke away, why we formed our own country, right? Uh, many, of the, many of these were grievances against intrusive government, all right? You know, we just got done with <laughs> a whole bunch of nasty stuff and dealing with some really... <laughs> Turd people. Oh, yeah. And, of course, you know, that they wanted that to be a, a very important driving force in the foundation of our country. Uh, they were very much against the concentration of power and arbitrary rule. Okay, we just escaped a monarchy. Uh, the reason we came here in the first place was to escape an oppressive regime who was trying to tell us how to live and what to do and, and then taxing us without representation. Yep, taxing us. Okay, we were escaping government violation of economic liberty. Okay, again, you know what you can and can't do with your with your money, what you can and can't do with your business. Okay, uh, all over the world, businesses are super heavily regulated, and that's something that our founding fathers sought desperately to escape. Okay, and of course, we already mentioned taxes. And violent government, of course, that's right in line with, you know, taxation without representation. You guys recall the Boston Tea Party, throwing the tea in the harbor, dressing up like Indians. That was a political play. Like, we were trying to show them, hey, we're, we're tired of being taxed and not being properly re represented at the time. That is true. Uh, their version of a protest. Right. All right. So that gives us some pretty, pretty stark points to go over there. Um... You know, so getting into what we deal with now. Right. All right, with big government versus small government. So in what ways now, Matt, would we consider ourselves a much larger and, and more self-destructive government than what we were when we were founded? Well, I mean, right now we have a full-time Congress. I mean, these guys are in session year-round. Uh, they... Live, they live there in Washington or the surrounding areas. Um, they're really there for their, to suit their own needs and devices. They are um, 300,000 laws on the books currently. Uh, that's absolutely ridiculous. But when you look at big government in general, they have their hands and fingers in everything, which goes against everything that the Founding Fathers originally wanted. It's the whole regulation, taxes, all that stuff, it should be minimal. I mean, yes, 
there is such thing as self-regulation, um, and that's just where the industry will regulate itself. Um, now, that doesn't mean that you have to have 500,000 government employees, all with the pension plan, um, all working for big government. I mean, we have almost more government employees than many private sector jobs. It's absolutely ridiculous um, to think. And then you have your contractors, your DOD contractors, military contractors, like just out the wazoo. To think how much money gets pumped into this machine of a government um, is absolutely ridiculous. And on the opposite side, if you start looking at just non-regulated small government um, I think my personal belief is that you would see a lot more, you would see an explosion in small businesses uh, just because you're not having to pay uh, registry. I pay three different registrations for a business, you know, local, city, county, federal, sales tax, local tax. I mean, it's ridiculous to think you have to jump through all these hoops to sell t-shirts. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's a very, they make the barrier to entry so high to open a small business that a lot of people just don't do it. They'd rather go work for the government and, and take the easy way out. Well, not only is the cost of entry to starting a business so obtrusive and, and dare I say, abusive of the people, I believe also that uh, with this barrier of entry, it also creates a situation where you actually spend a lot more on taxes than you think. Okay, so first of all, they want to <laughs> they want to take taxes out of your paycheck, and you have to. They want you to pay income tax. Okay, you have to pay state sales tax when you buy something. You have to pay taxes if you buy something that is an item that is over a certain value. You have to pay a luxury tax. Oh, because. You have plenty of money. You can buy this fancy boat. Oh, you need to pay a luxury tax now. All right, someone passes away in your family. Oh, you have to pay a death, a death, tax. A death tax. There's right. so many taxes. It's taxes upon taxes upon taxes. These things are taxed. These companies are taxed heavily at the level that they manufacture something. So do you think that they're going to go, well, this is just the cost of doing business. I'm going to eat this tax. I'm going to eat this regulatory headache or this money I have to spend uh, to be in compliance and then not pass along the consumer. No, they pass along the consumer. So then that's deferred cost that gets deferred to the consumer. Then that deferred cost is taxed. And then you pay taxes on that. So it literally becomes a spiral to where you're paying taxes on taxes on taxes on taxes, and it winds up being half or more of all the money you bring in literally goes literally. to the government in the form of taxes. Yeah. Now, if, let's just say, if we were okay with that happening, which we're not, nope. but let's say we were okay with that happening, well then what would have to happen in order to legitimize that existence, that system to exist, and that beast to perpetuate itself, Right. Well, for one, would be the will of the people being the will of the people. You live how you want, uh, very, very unobtrusive, if not non-existent laws. That would be a nice start, right? Well, is that what we see? No. There's over 300,000 federal laws on the books. And then when you start talking about local jurisdictions and municipalities, state-level stuff, towns and townships, counties, all of that sort of thing, trickling down through government... Between ordinances all the way up through federal law, you're talking no telling how many laws. We have so many laws on the books. There's over 20,000 gun laws on the books. 
alone, just for the firearms world. Everything from industry, regulatory headache, to licensing requirements and fees that we have to pay, to you know certain practices that a manufacturer has to take on in terms of you know serialization to you know the whole logistical process of creating a gun all the way from a raw piece of material all the way to the end user is heavily regulated dare i say taxed to death and it's very very obtrusive and tyrannical right the way we look at this so you would think that all right you're spending all this money in taxes and there's all this money going out you would think that we would be a free utopia, right? A utopia of free people that get to do how they want and be individuals and be happy and live in liberty. By, I mean, that's what the founding fathers wanted. They wanted us all to be individuals and to be free and for liberty to be the overall goal of our societies for people to be free and live the way they want. Well, 300,000 federal laws, that doesn't sound free to me. That sounds like, you know, that the tax code... And the tax system is enslaving people and then making them subject to these laws. That's not a citizen. That's a subject. It's true. The U.S. tax code has 6,500 pages. 2.5 million words make up 6,500 pages of tax code. It, it's, I mean, CPAs that have been practicing... 10 years don't even know the entirety of the tax code. It's, you have to find a specialist for that specific business or that specific niche market for them to really understand it because to find one person to understand all of it, you're not going to find it. Um, it's just crazy to think that you have that much regulation on taxes. It's, it's a very simple process. It's either, is it the sales tax? Okay. No, is it double tax? Is it triple tax? Because on many items, you're getting taxed twice. You're getting taxed three times. Um, and then you have, the, you have the fees or registration fees that are in guise. They're really a tax. Uh, you know, uh, concealed carry. It's a, in Georgia, it's, hey, you have to pay 75 bucks. This is a tax. You have marriage. You have to pay for a license. Okay, well, why, why is that? Okay. You have to pay for so many of these uh, fees or application fees that are actually just another version of a tax. They're just calling it a fee or some sort of uh, convenience fee or whatever it is. And there's certainly instances where we are taxed over everything, right? And the government is not supposed to tax a right, but they do. If you have to pay for a permit to carry a firearm, for instance. And if, let's say, that permit requires you to take some type of a course, well, they're disenfranchising people by requiring not only a monetary uh, type of, of commitment, but also a commitment of training. You know, you, you're basically disenfranchising those people of their Second Amendment rights. And the same goes for a $200 tax stamp. The $200 tax stamp is something that is unconstitutional. You cannot tax somebody to use their rights, okay? So there's this huge argument that goes amongst uh, various people, and, and rightfully so, that, you know, the $200 tax stamp to purchase a short-barreled rifle, short-barreled shotgun, an AOW or suppressor or machine gun is unconstitutional, okay? And I'm definitely in the camp of people that believe that the NFA should be abolished, the Federal Reserve should be audited, 
And that don't even get me started on that. All of this money that we supposedly have is supposed to be backed up in bullion, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd like to see that pile of gold because I promise you that that's been gone a long time. Okay, and so the issue is, what is wealth? What creates wealth? And how does wealth determine how our country is ran, right? I mean, so the government is so concerned about your wealth. They're so concerned about what you make, the taxes you pay. Oh, well, when you get above a certain bracket of making money, oh, you owe more taxes. Oh, you get into this tax bracket, that tax bracket. So why are they concerned so much about what people make? You heard Jefferson's words himself say that the government should not uh, you know, get in the way of how people run their business. They shouldn't get in the way of how people live. And I equate that to, yes, they should stay out of people's business. The way I look at taxes is that if you are going to have some form of a tax, like, okay, yeah, you got to fund the military. you got to fix roads. I mean, there's, there's things, you know, you got to pay for national defense. Obviously, there's things we have to deal with in terms of debt, that we collectively share as a society, that that is our shares, so to speak. However, the way that you could really approach that, instead of taking money out of someone's paycheck just because they made a living, okay, then why not just say we have a flat tax that you pay when you buy something? If you are going to be charged taxes, you should only be charged taxes when you put your money into the economy. You shouldn't be, you know, held hostage for wanting to save money or for wanting to have your wealth in one area, right? A lot of business owners at the end of the year, if they wind up showing a profit, they want to find a way to, you know, remove that that profit or, or, or at least break even so they don't have to get ate up in taxes, which are really immoral and, and just wrong to begin with, okay? So taxation is theft. One could argue that taxation might be a little necessary in some situations because society is a large cog and it requires protection. I mean, you've got to have military. You've got to fix the roads. There's infrastructure. There's that aspect of it. So let's talk about that a little bit. You've got it right in front of you here, Matt. Yeah, and before we do that, I just wanted to kind of go circle back to uh, the whole taxation on pay because for the longest time, uh, and I'll advocate for this, if you're going to learn any type of skill when you're younger uh, and you'll never go hungry, it's sales. Uh, you see a lot of people, they're like, oh, you need to go into the corporate world. Go into sales when you're a young person. If you're good, you'll never go hungry. However, that's a caveat because the way that your commission checks are taxed is significantly different than how your paycheck is taxed. You, I mean, if you're in a really good industry and I'm talking from personal experience, if you're earning on a commission check, say twenty-five, thirty, forty thousand dollars on a commission check, you can expect to lose forty percent to taxes because commission checks are taxed at a much higher rate than income. To see that amount of money just leave before it even hits the bank account is devastating, and nobody, nobody really knows why. It's just that if you ask a CPA, well, it's because that's the way commissions are taxed. They're taxed higher than uh, pay or salary. Um, it's, it's ridiculous. And then you have bonuses. They're taxed higher than 
everything else as well. So it's almost like that big government is looking at that and saying, well, this is just additional income that you don't really need. So we're just going to take a little bit more from that pile because you still make your base salary. We're going to take from that and you should, you should be whole. Don't worry. You're well, going to be again, whole. Again, part of my issue with, with the whole idea of the government taxing people so heavily and really taxation period, but the whole idea of taxation is that that should legitimize my existence. If I have to pay some overlord to exist in the country that I was born in, well, then I should be free to do whatever I want. With that should come every liberty that my heart desires. You know, and and look, without getting off on the vein of, of big versus small government, I will say that, you know, I look at the world in terms of liberty, right? You know, you look at these two political parties and they're and they're at each other's throats. It's always Republican versus Democrat, left versus right, them versus us. But the deeper issue is way, way larger than that, because individual liberty, as our founding fathers have always said, their words are there. I mean, it, it tells you right, right what you need to know. They have always valued individual liberty overall over individual liberty is valued over government. It's valued over the entire Founding ideas of the country, individual liberty is the crux of government. We are the government. Our liberty is the government. So we've gotten away from that. And, and now what do I mean by that? How do you equate that to today's society with the left and the right going at each other so hard and each person have such a hardline stance? Well, our founding fathers also opposed greatly any form of a two-party system or multi-party system, uh, they opposed that idea. They did not like it one bit, right? They didn't want people to divide. They didn't want the two parties to be able to play off each other and control the overall narrative, even in concert, right? They saw the, the, the difficulty that that provides to the average person who has to vote for these people. So when I say it equating to modern terms, what I mean is you have, let's just say, the super conservative side and they want to impose dogmas, whether it be moral or religious or, or both, on the other side and go, oh, well, you shouldn't be able to marry who you want. Uh, you shouldn't be able to put whatever you want in your body. So, But at the same time, they're supposed to be the party of, oh, well, well, we're pro-gun and everything like that. The other side, of course, they want what they want, and they're super anti-gun. But really, the other side is not all that pro-gun, as they would lead you on to believe. But... I believe more in the middle, you've got a group of people that just wants everybody to be happy and live the way they want. They're not going to try to impose their views on you, but in return, don't mess with my rights, okay? You want to marry who you want? Do it. You want to put whatever you want in your body? Do it. You want to own a gun? Do it. Or don't. You want to worship this or that? Do it. You want to worship a lizard, and a space lizard? Fine. Do it. No one's telling you not to. Just don't try to dictate how I live. That is the big issue, is on both sides of the coin, you've got people that are in really far different camps, and then they want to just yak at each other back and forth, and you got people in the middle are like, oh, hang on here. I'm just trying to live in liberty, and that's what our founding fathers wanted. I believe more of that moderate sort of intelligence. You know what I mean? Like they wanted individual intelligence and individual will to trump the will of a party, to trump, trump the will of, uh, of a government as a whole. So I think it's really important to think about that. So 
What has that gotten us into? All right, let's talk a little bit about national debt. We've got yeah. some stats here that yeah. I just pulled these up. And it's, uh, it's profound, yeah. to say the least. Um, the published national debt, what the government would lead you to believe, uh, if you asked or if you looked it up, would be $23 trillion. Uh, <laughs> and, trillion. Some change, yeah. and, right? and some change. He's counting. And some change. I'm rounding it evenly here because it's not at that point five. Um, however... If you include all of the liabilities that we hold as a government, as a country, uh, Medicare, taxes, all that good stuff, we're actually at 121 trillion. I'm going to round that up because it's 971 billion. So 122 trillion dollars with a T. That's with a T, boys and girls. And the difference between. A million and a billion is huge, but from a billion to a trillion is astounding. I mean, I this is absolutely ridiculous. So, our founding fathers being the brilliant men that they were, if they were alive today, would they approve of these expenditures? Of course not. For one, they would complain about all the laws on the books, and we've made no effort to repeal ineffective laws that are on the books I think that we should have our government set up in a way that if we are going to have to deal with government, there should be a finite sunset on every single law, no matter what they are. And lawmakers, if they're going to make laws and if they're going to try to put their boot down on people in the form of laws, they should have to fight to have laws reinstated that are ineffective. It shouldn't be, oh, well, we don't feel like this law is effective, so let's just make another law. That's not how you do that. The the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And 300,000-plus federal laws is not how you do that. That is literally the definition of insanity. And how we're running our country from a fiscal standpoint is certainly the same thing to say. That debt is never going to go away. That debt is going to get passed down to our great, 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 great grandchildren, like the great grandchildren version of pie. That that's what it's getting down to. I think that's a great idea. What if? Hear me out. Hear me out. I'm spitballing here. Yeah. What if the the first elected lawmakers they had term limits, so four years. The sunset is every five years, which means the newly elected lawmaker going into that seat would have to vote to either keep it or not, or repeal it, and then they could basically use that as their platform. Say, hey, there's a term limit. The same person that voted for this law is no longer going to be in office because they have a term limit. I'm the new guy, and I'm for the people. You voted for me. Do you want this? That's right. I think that's an outstanding idea. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and to be fair, we have to admit and, and, and show here that, you know, citizens do request that laws get passed in regards to certain things. Now, whether or not that is a result of their education or lack of education or upbringing or lack of upbringing, whatever the result of someone who says, yes, give me more laws we have to accept the fact that people want laws passed, and I get it. Like some people go to their to their congressmen and their representatives and their government, and they complain and they want rules passed. Okay, so there's this nanny state that exists. 
That's the major issue is we live in a nanny state where everyone wants to complain about something and it's this self-righteous, self-moral high ground aspect that people have about things. It's the Karen effect. All oh, the Karen effect. No, it, it 100% is the Karen effect. And I'm sure you guys have seen all the memes about, oh, there's Karen. Go home, Karen. Every, yeah, go home, Karen. <laughs> because everybody has to be the self-righteous... Uh, social justice warrior. Everybody has to engage in um, um, into into identity politics, and then they want to turn that social justice warrior identity politics, uh, you know, crusade into physical policy in the form of laws, in the form of lobbying. So that's a major issue. Uh, so let's let's talk a little bit more about the debt. There is a breakdown here. So oh, yeah. so where where are we spending this money? All right. Let's get into that. So, if you just look at the bulk of the expenditures, um, unfunded Medicare promises make up forty-eight point seven nine trillion of that debt. That's a ton. And then you have unfunded Social Security promises at thirty-four point nine trillion. Pension or publicly held debt is at fifteen point eight trillion. Pension and retiree health care liabilities at $7.98 trillion and other liabilities. They didn't even give that name. That's kind of like, I guess it's like this catch-all, like, oh, whatever money we want to spend. Our po- project. Uh, yeah. <laughs> our, uh, our pocket money, Guantanamo money, is going to be $1.56 trillion. All right. So out of all of this, Matt, what is each taxpayer's share? $800,000. So... Essentially, what they're saying is if everybody, every tax-paying individual in the U.S. paid $800,000, we could wipe out our national debt. Well, let's just assume that the average person lives 70 years. Now, I know it's longer than that, but for the sake of this, this podcast, we're just going to say the average person lives 70 years. Okay, And out of that 70 years, let's say that we, we take that $800,000 and we spread it out over a 70-year life. And that's assuming an infant works, which they don't. They don't. We're talking about yeah. working age. But let's just, for the sake of, for an antidote to argument here, we're just going to say from year one to year 70, you contribute this every single year uh, for your entire life. The average person would have to spend $11,428 per year to pay off the national debt. They'd have to work from day one, from the minute they popped out of the womb to the minute they died at 70 in this theoretical, uh, you know, what if here, hypothetical situation in order to pay off the national debt. Right when you come out, right when you come out, you start, you start, paying, to work you start, start paying the tax man. And I think that that kind of caveats <laughs> into, um, you know, what these Congress people and senators well, they're making fifty or sixty thousand dollars a year, and they come out of a four-year term with a net worth of over a million dollars. I mean, how does that happen? I mean, you start looking at the national debt, and that caveats into this. Right yes. Here. Okay. So we're gonna we're gonna mention the next thing, and this is kind of the final thing we'll talk about. You know, versus big versus small government. Now. If the founding fathers were alive, they would probably slap us all in the face over many things. Uh, but especially this, and, and one of the things being this, obviously, but, you know, in order to amend the Constitution, you have to have a constitutional convention, okay? And uh, the last constitutional convention was held uh, March 23rd, 1971, and the 
amendment that they wanted to add in there was ratified J- July 1st of 1971. It is the quickest ratification of an amendment in history. Okay. And let's see. Tell us what it's about. Tell us why it went by so quick. Let's see. Voting. God, I hope I got the right one pulled up. I'm going to feel like a dummy if I didn't. I have the wrong one pulled up. I'm trying to think of the one where they... Um, all right, this one deals with the with the voting voting rights and voting age. Okay, so I apologize. I had the wrong document pulled up. The one that I'm referring to primarily is the one where Congress gets to levy their own pay raises. Yes. It's one of the most recent ratifications to the Constitution. I apologize for getting that little snippet of information wrong. The 26th Amendment... Let's see. Prohibits the states and the federal government from using age as a reason for denying the right to vote to citizens of the United States who are at least 18 years old. Okay. So they want to make sure that, you know, this does have context that we could argue about in this video, but I primarily, I I, I erroneously printed the wrong one. The one that I'm referring to is where Congress sits to levy their own pay raises. So that is a really scary thing when you have a government that can literally spin out of control and open up Pandora's box whenever they want. And that's the issue. Well, they work for the people. Why should they be able to determine what their pay raises are? And have you ever known of, a, of someone within government to vote nay on a pay raise? <laughs> of course they're going to vote yes on a pay raise because they get to vote their own pay raises in. Yep. Now, I do want to mention that this was the fastest... Uh, amendment to be ratified and i'll tell you it does have context because they're essentially what they did was they took the age to vote down to 18 so what does that mean that means they're expanding their voter base so for they say hey guys you need more votes this is what we do we take the age from 21 we drop it down to 18 instantly we have a much larger voter base. Well, that's good for everybody here on the Hill. We're going we're gonna to expand our voter base, and we're going to get more votes, and they're going to be younger. They're going to they're gonna be less informed. We can spread misinformation, and we're going to instantly get our votes. And that's, that's, right. that's exactly what happened. They basically went from a 21 age restriction down to an 18, increased their voter base, who wouldn't vote uh, significantly, uh, or who wouldn't vote uh, quickly for that? So, um, in a nutshell, I think that has a, a very great deal of context for, to what we're talking about. That's right. And uh, what I'm referring to is the 27th Amendment. I'd have to read back into that one a little bit harder, and I don't want to put out wrong information. I apologize for getting that little snippet wrong. Uh, it's a lot of information to digest, people. And uh, I'm trying my best to uh, to stay on topic and get things rolling here. Uh, we'll, we'll move on. But it is scary, right? Uh, no matter how you cut it, there's certainly some things going on within our government that are very, very scary. And, you know, when you think about, yes, the, the, these folks that get into government, right, and then they leave millionaires, what does that tell you about the corruption present? What does that tell you about who they're really serving? Well, the people pay them to, you know, to have a, a seat in government and to represent them. Well, then how, how does someone become a career politician and spend 20, 30 years in the government and then come out multimillionaires unless they were doing something on the back end? Absolutely. It boggles my mind to know that 
fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year, and four years you turn that into multiple millions. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 crazy because there I can guarantee you, everybody else in the U.S. would love to know the secret to that. I want to myself included. The founding fathers would be very, very, very much opposed to government employees running for for office for years and years and years and years on end and using it as a power seat. That was not really the intention. I I believe strongly that our founding fathers intended for um, dealing in government to be a mantle that's on fire that you have to hand off to someone. They, They didn't want career politicians, right? They didn't want something that could even be, you know, taken as a monarchy or, or they oppose like sitting government. That's why you have term limits. That's, you know, it just seems that we need congressional term limits. We need to repeal laws every, so every certain amount of years, there should be a sunset on all laws. There should be uh, congressional term limits. You know, we shouldn't allow these people to sit in there and get comfortable and continue to infringe on our rights. Not only the second amendment, but many rights, Okay, there's lots of folks out there that are angry that marijuana is not legalized at the federal level. There's people out there that are angry that the government wants to say who they can and can't marry, right? There's people out there that, like myself, I'm angry because they will tell me what type of gun I should or should, or should not own or if I should even own a gun at all. So see, there's all these things varying from property rights all the way to the Second Amendment, freedom of speech, censorship. We've created this giant basket uh, or more appropriately, we would say Pandora's box has been created by giving analogy. these people the ability to infringe on all of our rights in the form of all of this tax code and law. So it's scary. Yeah, I, I mean, I can only agree with you. So if you, if you just look at the breakdown, so the, the president of the United States has a term limit of two terms. Now, if you look at Congress, Congress and the Senate are supposed to be the equals of the president. One doesn't work for the other. They work together. So, with that said... Checks why, and balances. Exactly. Well, why wouldn't one side have term limits and the other not? Mm-hmm. Why not institute term limits for both? Why is it that a sitting... If they're equal. Yeah, if they're equal. Why is it that a sitting president serves two terms and then rotates out, and then his equal in power sits there for 30 years? I mean, it it makes absolutely no sense. You need term limits to keep everything equal. And I'll tell you why. It's because they're full-time politicians. That's their job. They're setting their laws and agendas based on their next election. If they know they have an election coming up and it's an election year, they call it lame duck for a reason. Yep. It's because they will either put the pressure on certain agendas and certain laws and bills or they'll back off. And it's almost like, you know, the throttling. Okay, I need to have four more years. I need to keep it up for four more years. Or, hey, I have nothing to worry about. I just started my new term. I can do whatever I want. And in three years, my constituents won't even remember me. They won't remember that crazy law I passed. They're only going to know the next thing I'm going to give them for free. The, The minute that they get elected, they spend all of their time trying to get elected again. Instead of serving the people, instead of serving our interests and giving a crap about what we want out of our lives and giving us long-lost liberties that have been taken through the form of all kind of erroneous tax code and laws and no telling what other amount of fiat going on in the background. Instead of doing that, they pander to try to get reelected, and it creates a vicious cycle, and it's a cycle we need to break. So, 
guys, thank you for listening to today's podcast. This has been Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I'm Eric. This is Matt here. Say hey, hello, Matt. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> and uh, look, let us know if there are some subjects you'd like us to cover. We're definitely going to be diving here on this uh, podcast into a lot of different things, not just government, not just liberty, but life, okay? In one of our next episodes, we're going to be doing a scotch tasting. That's going to be exciting. That's going to be fun. So lots of things on the way. Let us know what you'd like to hear us blab about. And uh, I apologize about getting one little piece of info wrong there. I'm trying my best to be prepared for these. Uh, Guys, have a great day, and we appreciate all the support. And we'll see you next time. See you.